inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Hello, my name is Carrie, as it said in that introduction, and this is Outlook, and I'm here with my sibling. Yes, yo. Hello, everybody. Good, uh, happy Monday morning to you out there. This is our first show, well, not our first show of 2023. We did have Kelly and Ramya on last week from Kelly and Ramya now on AMI-TV, that's Accessible Media Incorporated Television. We had them on last week as a pre-record that we recorded from home. So this is our first time back live in the studio in 2023. Yeah. Been almost a month since we were live in the studio. December 19th of last year was our last wrap-up year show for 2022. So it is good to be back. And uh, yeah, doing, doing all right out there. Starting to finally get used to the new year and kind of get back into the swing of things. Well, I was just going to say, shout out to all those who slept through their alarms today because it's Monday and it's just, we're barely into January, so it happens. And I guess also mention quickly, the People students- People get tired. The students out there the last while, there haven't been uh, that many students around here because everyone was kind of gone home for the holidays. Right. So now there is a bunch of students back here in, on campus. So if anyone's new to the show, welcome on into Outlook. We appreciate you listening and- uh, you can also find us as a podcast, Outlook on Radio Western, on all podcast services. Yes, and today is live, as, as we said, and uh, we're happy to be back in 2023. And can't believe it's it's there already, but uh, today we have a guest. So the show's about perspectives. So we have a lot of guests on Outlook, if you're new to, to us, or occasionally, once a month or so, we'll do something we call Mixed Bag Monday, which is the two of us, talking about all the kinds of things on our minds or things in the news that are related to disability or blindness, but uh, we like to have our, our guests on as well to have just nice open conversations and uh, have some fun along the way, right? For sure. And I also want to mention quick off top again that it is still Braille Literacy Month here in January. Oh, I wasn't going to forget about Braille. Oh, yeah, of course not. <laughs> we can't do that. No, but so. it's good to remind everybody. Yeah. So anyone out there that didn't know, I mean, I think it's a relatively new thing the last few years that it's been, Yeah. January's been Braille Literacy Month, but we never need an excuse to talk about Braille on, on Outlook. No, it's like any of those times there's a month for something like Black History Month or Women's History Month or whatever. It's, you know, <laughs> and some of us have to live it not just one month, but anyway. For sure. It's Braille month every month for me, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but still, it's nice to have a month that it's recognized more uh, globally and talked about more more around, uh, right. around the world. Take the mystery out of it a little bit. So our guest today, I'd like to get to, um, but we will talk about Braille. Uh, so welcome today on Outlook, Macy Lewis. Hi, Macy. Thanks for coming on Outlook. Thanks for having me. So do you want to start by letting our listeners know where whereabouts are you calling in from today? Yeah, where is it cold where you are? Because it's pretty, pretty cold it's here. Very cold. Yeah, okay. we had snow yesterday, so I'm calling from Utah, which is in the western part oh, okay. of the United States. Okay, yeah, good to know. I mean, I'm slowly gradually learning my my U.S. geography. Yeah, I don't think being... you learned tons of U.S. geography in school. Uh, I mean, you might have had a lot of kids saw maps, but I don't know how you feel. We'll get into 
some more about your blindness throughout the show, but I don't know how you feel about sort of that sort of thing. Um, maybe we can talk about that as well as not just Braille, but tactile graphics and things, and uh, depending on what kind of a learner you've, you've been throughout your life. But I'm excited to have you on because you're a writer, and uh, I like to have other writers on the show, which is what I do when I'm not doing this. Yeah, no, it's great to have a writer on my sister here. And co-host Carrie is also a writer, so I think it's great that we have two writers on the show today who happen to be blind. And uh, But um, I don't have the books out that you do, and they I was checking them out, and it's quite the interesting um, spectrum of stuff, which, again, we'll get into um, this hour. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for writing that, because, uh, you know, I love anytime books come out. As we say, there's so much good music out there, as Brian knows with his Friday afternoon chin music show on this station and there's so many books out there and I just get overwhelmed sometimes I don't know about you Macy about the idea of oh I can't I'll never be able to read all the ones I want to read oh my gosh I picked up a couple of books yesterday from Bookshare and I had to stop myself because I find so many other books and my TBR to be read book list is so long (laughs) that it just keeps growing and I was like you have to stop and just pick a couple I know. Well, for me, it's that it is so handy now. We don't have to lug... Speaking of Braille, we love Braille, but there's other ways of, of doing Braille than the ones that we, I grew up with. We don't want to have to lug around a bunch of volumes of heavy Braille pages anymore for a single book when you can have a whole bunch of books on your iPhone and then just read it with like these Braille displays or with a screen reader voice. Um, but yeah, then then you're overwhelmed. Like I have too many and I, I'll, I'll, I'll read one for a while and maybe that's okay. But then I'll move to another one for a while, depending on what mood I'm in at a certain time. Exactly. But yeah, I think it's great. We're starting off by talking about Braille because our guest today, Macy Lewis, is, is an author. So definitely does a lot of writing. And I thought it would be great to start with talking about Braille and we want to get into your your upbringing and childhood and, and early life a little bit as well. But if you wanted to start and by telling our listeners a little bit about your life experience with Braille and what Braille means to you here uh, in Braille Literacy Month. Sure. Okay, so I am blind, as they said, <laughs> and I have been reading Braille basically ever since I was a kid. Um, I can read a little bit of print, like print letters and numbers, but it's very slow. And it has to be in the right font and contrast. So Braille is my main method of reading and writing. Um, Of course, now we switch to audio most of the time. But when I can, I definitely want the Braille. Um, I love it so much that I've actually started doing a campaign on Twitter for Braille Literacy Month to show the world what Braille is. Because I don't think people really... I mean, they see it out in public, but if you don't really know what it means, it's kind of cool. So I'll do, um, I show the the Braille cell using a muffin tin and tennis balls, because that's how I learned it when I was in preschool. And Yeah, that's a great way I to sh- teach kids, yeah. Yeah, so I take pictures, so I've taken pictures of those, uh, the muffin tins and the different letters, and then I will show the letter and the contracted word. Uh, so if you're, you don't know what Braille is, it's the, it's six dots in a cell. Uh, on the left side, you have one, two, three going down. And then on the right side, you have four, five, six. And it's a different, com- it's different combinations of those dots that make up the letters of the alphabet. And then each letter with a space after it means a word. 
Um, and so it's just been fun to show the world, this is what Brill is, this is what it looks like, and this is what it means. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Like like we're saying, you know, that's how you learned it, as you said, uh, when you were in preschool. So that's great to hear that you did learn it from from such an early age, which is also the same for, well, definitely for me. And then Carrie, you were pretty young too, I guess, when you when you started learning it. Um, so we, we, I guess all three of us have started learning Braille from such a young age. And that, it does need to be sort of a fun way of teaching it. Because like anything, it is a pretty... It's pretty small, your standard Braille cells. To just, so to start out... Well, yeah, it's like they don't teach kids alphabet without singing the alphabet song, right? To make it fun somehow, right. make it Some, interesting for kids yeah. so they'll learn. But um, yeah, there's so many great like tactile, creative ways of creating Braille. And, you know, when it's big, big size, and it's not obviously how we would be reading it, um, it's that's mostly obviously for showing others, right? Is that That's what you're trying to do with your 26... Your 26 yep. campaign? Yep. Yeah, I mean, so just to let our listeners know, so today is being January 16th. <laughs> I did see on your socials this morning. So today is P Day, the letter P. And uh, yep. P yep. on its own stands for the word people. People. For our listeners to know. So we do have short forms in Braille as well. Um, but I think that is a really neat idea that, uh, of course, people can find that on your Facebook, facebook.com slash author Macy Lewis. And it's also on your on your Twitter account. And that's at- L-E-W-I-S. There's different. Right. It's not like Louis, Louis Braille Lewis. But- right. And that's Macy Lewis <laughs> 6 on on Twitter. M-A-C-Y-L-E-W-I-S. So people can find that. And yeah, was there something specific that, that triggered you to, to do this this year? Have you done anything kind of in the past like this for Braille um, Literacy Month? Or like, I just wanted, was curious if there was a situation that brought this up or just you just thought it would be worth educating people? Um. So in 2017, I was in a master's program for like a week and they didn't give me the accommodations that I needed. So I bailed nice. and I gotten on Twitter because of that, mainly just to connect with blind businesses and organizations um, and just trying to get a feel for what was out in the world because the master's program was to be a like a, a college counselor for, okay. the, for blind people. And so I got on Twitter and I was just kind of looking at, we know the employment for blind people is tricky. And I just thought in 2018, I just thought, why not use this global platform that we all have, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, and just show people what Braille is. So I did it on Twitter originally. I've done it for the past uh, four four years now, five years, and uh, just started to try and make people aware of it. People really liked it. And then this year... I was finally like, you know what? I should just show, I should do it on Facebook too. I don't know why it took me to do it that long, but people are loving it over there too. That's great. So you've yeah. had some some reactions from it so far, like any sort of feedback or anyone reaching people out? People are loving it. They're just, like random people will be like, this is so cool. And then the people in the blind community are like, this is so cool. And then they'll come up with uh, different ways to do it. Like somebody mentioned the other day over on Twitter, they were like, you can use a, uh, an egg carton and golf balls and just it's really fun to hear what people think that you can make braille out of because you if it's small enough you can use anything i've used m&ms <laughs> mini marshmallows <laughs> just like random christmas ornaments you know just yeah like smarties anything. or yeah exactly and it's fun so <laughs> if your parents told you never to play with your food now you can <laughs> 
fun. Yeah, that's what I, I love. I mean, we've talked a lot on this show before about Braille art and just different creative ways of doing that. And so, yeah, we just talk about Braille and each time we do kind of feel like we have to explain it because we don't want to, we hate talking about something and, and assuming everybody knows and they're following us, but you can't explain it to everybody, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, I think so. It's it's great how you did it, though. Um, you know, it's it's it, it makes sense if you can, I guess, state it simply enough, but um, to help people picture it, which is kind of what you're doing with the the life size version of the cupcake tins. Yeah, to have that big big visual representation, plus you know, also very tactile representation of it. Um, but I think you kind of touched on it there um, briefly, Macy, about that. A lot of people just, just still really don't know what Braille is. And I mean, it's like anything. It's like when I think of something like sign language, which, you know, I have a bit of an idea about it, but I'm, you know, it's something I've considered learning someday because I don't really know much about other disabilities or other means of communi- communication. Yeah, there must be but, a class here in town somewhere. But I think like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> there's there's a definitely a way to, le- to learn it. But yeah. I think um, it's, it is still like very, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I think there's still a lot of people might think that it Braille is like its own code that doesn't represent letters at all. It's almost like it's its own language or something. Like there's a lot of different opinions out there. So I think it is definitely uh, worth bringing awareness to it uh, as much as we can. Yeah. So 26 days of Braille, if you want to check that out on, on Macy's socials to see more clearly what we might be talking about here. Yeah. And we'll, we'll share the links to your, to your socials in our uh, podcast notes as well. So, you want to tell us um, what was your childhood like? Because, you know, a lot of what happens and, and the things we learn, specifically um, skills that blind people need, um, some of that stuff, at, like Braille, it, you know, if you can learn it younger and everybody's going to go on their own journey with these things, but often in childhood, um, some people have some interesting anecdotes about it all, but you said you were blind since birth or? Yes. Yeah, so I'll just give you me in a in a nutshell, and then we can go from there. Mm-hmm. So I was adopted when I was one day old, and I was born 17 weeks early at 23 wow. weeks gestation, and I weighed one pound, two ounces. And in my first year of life, I had 11 surgeries and 10 were on my eyes. And the, the 10 surgeries were attempts to stop my retinas from detaching, but my right eye never responded, and I can't see anything out of it. My left eye responded and I have about 10% central vision in that eye. And my eye condition is known as retinopathy of prematurity. Right. And obviously if you're that small at birth, uh, that's going to be a, or it definitely was a common thing uh, back when we were growing up. Yeah. Um, And so from there, I basically just had as normal of childhood as you can have when you're blind. Um, So I went to the Utah School for the Blind from preschool until second grade. And in second grade, I mainstreamed into public school. And from there, I went through elementary school, junior high, and graduated from high school. And then I attended the University of Utah, and I graduated from there with a bachelor's degree in history and a minor in writing and rhetoric studies. Rhetoric studies. Yeah. I just noticed that in one of your titles, so... Yeah, it basically just means I took a lot of extra writing classes. Right, anything having to do which with was it. fun. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so then... Yeah, I, as you say, though, I, I just want to point out quickly again, and like, as you say, finding jobs when, you, when you're when you blind can be tricky. And it's, it's just unfortunate that 
whether you go and get a bunch of education like you did or you don't, you know, it, it doesn't always matter. That That's not necessarily what, what, what um, makes it or breaks it. So it's just, um, we talk about it, not to whine about it, but, um, you know, just it sounds like you had quite the education there. And Well, it is a thing. I mean, it's a discussion for, for everyone. I think a lot of people out there that even if they aren't blind can get educated and it's still... You know, sometimes it's looked at as, oh, that's the way to go, but it's not, doesn't mean if you just get that done that, that you're going to find work, but it definitely is more challenging, I would say, overall for, for people who are blind. And that's just something that's, it's unfortunate. A lot of it is society. And I don't know sort of what experiences you've had with that, uh, Macy, that you'd maybe want to talk about, but it's just and it's sort of a thing we, we bring up here quite a bit on the show just to, cause I don't think some people don't realize the the rate of unemployment in the blindness community and, um, you know, education is, is such an important thing, but yet so it's frustrating. It's got to well, be frustrating. We get tired of talking about that, what the statistic is and yet, you know, it's not, not something you can kind of hide away from. But, uh, I think we're getting a bit ahead of, ahead of ourselves. I wanted to go back just briefly. So, well, yeah, no, I, I'm curious about the transition of schooling, like, cause we were mainstream the whole time. Um, but we knew a lot of people who went to schools for the blind and I know it's, I think, does every state have one? Uh, I don't, I would assume, but I don't know for sure. It feels like from what I've seen on social media and stuff, they do, but, um, you know, some kids go from being in a school for the blind first and then they transition into mainstream and some vice versa. So, I don't know if was the transition difficult for you. Did you? Yeah. So what kind of what was the re, was there a specific reason yeah. at, that you switched from the school for the blind um, after a couple of grades there into the as they call it in the U.S. more so mainstreamed here. The term is more integrated, but just for any mm. listeners who might not be aware, again, can't always explain everything, but I think no. it is worth worth noting that that means that that you're integrated or mainstreamed into the public school system with with everyone else compared to going to a separate school specifically for the blind. Yeah. So. From what I understand was my teacher at the school for the blind could just, she was just kind of like you, you're learning um, a lot and we think you would do better in public school. Um, but I do remember it was, you know, of course, obviously when you go to a new school, it's challenging and you have to make friends and the blindness on top of it was a little scary because I couldn't see my classmates and I was still trying to figure that out. But I think for me, the, because I always, no matter where I went to school, I changed a couple of schools over the years, but um, I always had really good friends around me. And so that really helped. Everyone was just like, oh, it's Macy. She's blind. She can't see. Big deal. Move on. Um, and so that was, that was really nice. Um, but what I did struggle with was reading. And because I was still learning Braille and I was really, really slow, I have, I still have memories of sitting in class and um I don't know if you guys went through this where the teacher would be you all would be reading a novel out loud and she teacher would call on different people to read and I was you know a sentence or two or three or sometimes even a paragraph or two behind because I was just so slow and I remember being like please don't call on me please don't call on me because I'm so slow and I was super embarrassed so one of my goals in my IEP meeting, uh, which is just a special meeting that the, the student has with their teacher for the blind and visually impaired. And it may be somebody from the school and the parents. Um, it's just to help set goals for the student to um, achieve as much as they possibly can with, with different things, you know, like computer access ability or uh, JAWS or 
different screen readers and Braille and things like that. So mine was uh, to make sure that I could read on grid levels. So for a few years, that was kind of my main focus. And then we'd, we'd focus, you know, on Braille math and uh, computer and slate and stylus, which is another form of writing Braille and computers, of course. Yeah, I think I think that's really uh, really interesting how you how you mentioned that it was more it was actually the school for the blind themselves that were kind of saying like you know you seem like you're learning really fast like you you thrive in a public school system whereas I think oftentimes it can be the opposite where it's a little different here in Canada because we we don't really have that many schools for the blind there's one here actually in Ontario where we are but we never went there and our parents at the time kind of really had to fight to get support in the public school system for us. Um, but I think it's also interesting in the fact that, you know, a lot of people who who happen to be blind also might have other learning disabilities and, and you know, not everyone, but I think that can be quite common. So a lot of times people, you know, it's, it's sort of a discussion we have on the show and there's no right or wrong comparing a school for the blind compared to a, a integrated school. But I think it's, I can kind of relate to your experience based on what you're saying about, you know, I've always had sighted a lot of sighted friends growing up since I was integrated into the, the mainstream school system um, and it of course like there's there's definitely moments but for the most part I didn't really think about my blindness because it never changed and all of my friends were just there and it was just the way I was obviously there were there were times um, like at recess sometimes I go off and play sports or something which is another topic we can get into as I know it's something else that you're quite a bit into is sports but I just think that is interesting in that it was this, the school that kind of recommended that you um, you move over to the public school yeah it was definitely an interesting journey but and it's interesting to hear from other you know other blind people about what did they what did you have to do and what did you go through and it's I don't know it's yeah that's, interesting. we talk about that on the show with all our guests because everybody's experience is going to be so different yet there are these common markers and these things that we can relate to uh, relate with and also just for sharing what it's like uh, but yeah there's pressure of sure and gosh I remember you know n- not just blind kids struggled a lot of kids when it was time to especially when they'd be asked to read out loud you know a lot of kids struggled with that so it's something we all, like Brian said with the friend issue too it's something that all kids deal with but blindness sometimes adds an extra layer or so and then how, how would you say your Braille skills kind of went from there? Do you, do you consider yourself a, a pretty a, like efficient Braille reader or, or, you know, it's like anything, right? We talk about on this show quite a bit how not everyone who can see is loves reading or is the best, best reader. So it's just always interesting to kind of learn. Yeah, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with like, hopefully no blind people ever take it that, that they're being criticized for not being good enough blind people who should know braille right like it's the same as reading print for other children so yeah not everybody loves that right it took me a while to get into reading braille because i was so slow and i didn't enjoy Mm -hmm. it because i felt like oh great i have to read again because i'm not fast enough but then once i finally hit that goal um i remember i think i was in fifth grade i think um i had read a book and it was a sixth grade book and I remember my teacher was so excited and she was just like you you read a sixth grade book and and you finally reached what we wanted you to reach and then it was like oh okay cool but still I still remember in junior high and sometimes even into high school even though I knew braille and I was fast and I didn't have any problems with it 
reading aloud still scared me so bad. <laughs> I would get really nervous and then all the blood would, you know, leave my fingers. So my fingers would be freezing. In fact, it's happening right now. But, <laughs> right. you know, so I think it's just one of those things that will always happen. Yeah, it's kind of being put on the spot. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, can struggle with sort of being asked out of the out of the blue to read out loud and you sort of feel the pressure at that point. But uh, but luckily, blind people don't have to, like, not everybody does, and you don't have to read Braille. And we're going to talk definitely in the second half, but um, Maisie is an author. And, you know, the, like we said, screen readers these days and other technology, Braille isn't the only way you do that. But I see... Have you ever heard any any writer specifically? I might launch into a bit of writing stuff. It's all over the place here today, Bryce. Sorry. Just, Don't be sorry. I like it's, talking your to, it's your show. I like talking to writers. Two. Well, it's two. Yes. Throw in the two. But um, I was going to say, Macy, have you ever thought, is there any writer out there who would not recommend a tip for writers is to read? Do you think that there's some people who say, I don't know if it's necessary. Do you believe it is to be a good I writer? So. I think so. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed is... Um, So I did an internship when I was in college and I was working for an attorney because that's what I thought I wanted to go into. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm. Uh, Didn't happen, but that's okay. Um, And he actually was the one who told me, if you read enough of an author, you will start to write like them. And that is so true. So for example, um, last year I finished reading a lot of, uh, well, as many James Michener books as I could possibly get my hands on. If you don't know who James Michener is, he is, he took, he wrote, um, oh my goodness, just slipped my mind, uh, Tales of the South Pacific, uh, which was then turned into a musical, you know, the movie. And then he wrote lots of other novels like Chesapeake, Alaska, Texas, etc. And he does really, really in-depth descriptions of like the landscape and animals and the history of whatever he was writing about the people and told the history um, up to the point that he was writing the book. And so I've noticed that as I took, you know, a year and a half or so to read all of his novels, now my writing is starting to be his. So I'll be like, okay, I've got to write you know build the world and then and then in that world i've got to write the landscape and then the genealogy of these people and i'm going okay i was never like that before but i think it's because i was reading so much of his novels and his writing i think i think that's a really interesting (laughs) point you bring up there care that that whole idea about because sorry not to not to harp on music too much but for me the creativity your show too right the creativity (laughs) for me is is through music and I've heard some certain musicians kind of like saying sort of things about that where they're like, yeah, I don't really listen to much music or I don't want to be influenced too much by outside sources. And <laughs> I mean, you know, teach their own. But for me personally, it's like, yeah, I think by by listening to the to music and discovering tons of music, that does help with my craft. But I guess it could be the same with writing where it's like you want to pick up you know, techniques from, from your favorite authors or musicians or whatever it may be, but yet you don't want to be coming off like you're, you're copying them too much or too similar either. So I guess it's a balance. So true. And I understand that too, because I'm a drummer. So I get that. Yeah, for sure. So lots of, lots of creativity going on, which uh, we'll, we'll touch on the music at, at some point a little bit as well, just cause I, you know, I can't miss the opportunity to talk about that. But uh, writing, I think, will be the, the main focus on, yeah. on today's program, Care, especially with uh, having another writer uh, on the show um, and someone that you can you can connect with. And um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Before we go out to break here, I thought maybe we I could I would ask you quickly, um, both Carrie or Macy, you could you could sort of connect on this, but is does writing feel like do you know have you made connections with lots of blind other blind writers since you've been writing? This could go to either of you, Care. Oh yeah, to our guests. Yeah, start start with Macy then. <laughs> okay. Um so actually I since I've published a few books, I have met a couple of other blind writers. Um some are poets, some write novels like me. Um my mentor um was blind as well. And so she was the one who uh, when we met up, I was actually interviewing her and her. she told me about her books and I told her that I was like, hey, I'm writing this manuscript. When it's done, could you take a look? So when I was done, um, she said, send me the first 10 pages. And I was, you know, really embarrassed because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I told her, uh, this isn't the funnest part of what I've got. And she took a look and she was like, well, it's okay but what's the funnest part that you have of your manuscript? And I said, hey, it's this service trip and I only wrote maybe two or three pages on it. Didn't really focus on it. And she goes, well, why don't you write a new book about that? And I was like, um, I don't really know how to do that. And she goes, well, I'll help you. So basically she, it was kind of like an apprenticeship, I suppose you could say, because for the next six months, she uh, took me under her wing and basically showed me everything about how to craft a novel and it was hard it was intense it was probably harder than a lot of my college classes but it was really good um because she basically was like this is you know the ins and outs of how you craft something and this is why you need to write it this way and this is these are the rules and so it was really helpful for me and then um we i think well for me i just i've how do I say this? The blind community is really small. And so I wasn't aware of a lot of blind writers until, you know, I started um, getting involved with the community online. And then I started to meet a few others. But like I said, it's still pretty small. All right. Well, let's talk after. I'm going to compare notes to see if I have a group on Facebook in in case you're interested um, with some great ones. But um, yeah, it's great. Community is important. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I wanted to bring that up and we'll get into it a bit more after the break. But I think we talk about that often how, you know, of course there's blind people out there, but it's like, obviously we're a a small segment of the population. So we are quite spread out and how important it is to find role models and mentors and to find other blind people doing things that that we want to do. Of course, just because we're blind, it doesn't mean we're the same as them, but it does give us that sort of thing in common and gives you a bit of hope to kind of find those other connections and I think a lot of us out there who are blind maybe don't have as many connections as we'd like so that's why I thought it would be worthwhile bringing up but uh, we are speaking with author Macy Lewis here today on Outlook we're going to take a quick break now for some promos and we'll be right back after this Outlook Radio Western. All right, we're back. Yes. Monday morning. Thank you again for listening. Everybody returning back in 2023. Hope everybody's having a good week so far. And let's talk more with our guest. But uh, I did want to make some sort of funny segue. I don't have the the silly music from Sesame Street. But before the break, we were talking about Braille. And the alphabet, obviously 26 days of Braille is what you're doing on social media. Um, And Brian said we're at the 16th right today so it's the letter p 
in Braille, in the Braille alphabet, in the alphabet. And so I was just thinking of when Sesame Street had the letter of the day or whatever. <laughs> do you remember that? I don't know. Did you watch Sesame Street, Macy? Oh, yes, I did. Yes. Of course. Everybody loves Sesame Street. <laughs> Yeah, so we should mention that the guest's name today is Macy Lewis, and uh, yeah, it is great to have you on. And yeah, I mean, I was—I don't think I was maybe as in, into Sesame Street care. We've talked about this before. Yeah. So, so Macy, you, you mentioned you had a bit of vision out of one of your one of your eyes. Um, I don't know how much that was. Like, were you able to still see the see the screen at all? Like, see the characters of Sesame Street? I could see blobs of color, and I—I I think it's really interesting because I have, you know visions if you will in my head of what or images of, of what things look like and it's obviously different from everybody else because it's it's 10 percent, you know so i have nothing on the periphery so it's just right in that center mm-hmm. of my vision so i could tell you that almost red but or big bird is yellow but other than that the fine details are kind of hazy well yeah it's just we always talk here on the show about a spec spectrum of blindness where you know a lot of people maybe don't realize that it's not like someone's just blind or, or sighted. There's so many variations. And, you know, Carrie here used to be able to see quite a bit more and then gradually lost vision. For me, it's always been the same. I've always just had a little bit of light perception, but nothing, could never see color or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, there were there were songs and there were a lot of, there was a lot of dialogue so, on so, the show, but there was a lot of visual So yeah, parts. I found like Sesame Street for me, I, I liked it. I remember having it on, but I didn't quite get into it quite as much. I think there were yeah. certain, I was more into the Sesame Street tapes. There was a lot of like <laughs> audio tapes I used to get back in the day. Right. That uh, used to laugh uh, laugh about. Wait, I always I, I always loved all the color. That's what I liked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, speaking of the letters, um, in the second half we are going to talk about uh, your work as an author. And uh, I have to say, I've checked out a, a bit of your books, and I got one. I think I, I'm reading Shattered Hearts. So you have a, a, a few Shattered Hearts, Imprisoned Hearts, and then those are. Would you say those are love romances or like thriller romances or what, what would those be? So I write romantic suspense, suspense and the trilogy. Yeah. So the trilogy is, it's called the Hidden Hearts series. And then, so we've got Favored Hearts, which is book one. Book two is Imprisoned Hearts and book three is Shattered Hearts. And they're parallel novels. So you can read them mm-hmm. out of order. You That's won't really doing, yeah. miss anything. Um, and then you can go backwards um, and see how that goes and then I write young adult novels I haven't released one yet but uh, there's one that should be going to my editor this month and then I write children's books and they're all I love writing you know all of the above it's definitely it's different from you know going from the romantic suspense for the adults to the children's books but it's really really fun yeah I I mean it's interesting to to see all the other kinds of things uh, writers like yourself are writing and can write and want to write and uh, you know I myself have thought it'd be cool to write a children's book I have a few vague ideas but um I just I picked the one about sea creatures so yeah you have one about dragons and one about sea creatures yes Mm -hmm. yeah I've got a couple more coming out um this year will there will be uh one is called Nina Nebula and the space adventure and then there's another one called Gia Giraffe and the Zoo Adventure. Nigel the Dragon was a book that I just had this idea and I don't know why but I just pictured this dragon who was blue kind of like the sky and he was smaller than the other dragons and he wanted to compete in the Dragon Olympics and he didn't think he could do what the other dragons could because he was so small 
Um, but he learns that he can because he talks to the princess and she's like, you can do it. <laughs> um, so that one, that one was, that's, uh, it rhymes. So if you read it over and over and over again, I have friends who will text me and they'll be like, my kids had me read it like 15 <laughs> times and I'm starting to memorize it. And I'm like, I'm not apologizing. I'm glad. That's awesome. Um, and then Octi Octopus was interesting. It was actually created by uh, my cousin's son. Oh. And he had this imaginary friend who was named Octi Octopus and he was orange. And my uncle and aunt were telling me about it. And they said, could you just write a story about this character for us? And mm-hmm. so kind of collaborated with um, my sister and she kind of helped me create some of our other characters in that book. And then I reached out to my local aquarium because you know in in this day and age you can get you know 15 or 20 or 30 40 different sources on animal facts Mm -hmm. and i just thought i don't want to do this without help so um with octi octopus and nina nebula and gia giraffe i've reached out to um my local uh aquarium planetarium and zoo for the help because they know what's going on and i don't want to mislead anyone <laughs> and so then you know i i correspond i collaborate with friends and family just on characters or different things you know like what could what could these people do or what could what could these characters and animals do that would be captivating for the kids you know because you only have a certain amount of story space to captivate the kids and if it's not fun they're not going to read it so. yeah you got to catch them like right at the beginning exactly so this uh, this one that's that's the Victoria series series I just like I said automatically I heard as far as word to geekdom it just I heard the Victoria I figured that's got to be <laughs> I know where that's a play on rhetoric yeah exactly and exactly so, you got it I love that <laughs> You just like rhetoric or like, was there a reason or did you just think, ah, I'll just pick a name? I just name. needed a kingdom name and I was just throwing around <laughs> right. random words and I was like, hmm, rhetoric, that's kind of a cool word. Like, what, what could I do? Something about that. And I was like, Rhetoria, hmm. Yeah, it does so, And then you go on Google and you make sure you're like, is this like, is this a real word or is it not? Because I like <laughs> to make, um, make up a lot of fictional places. You know, like in Fever Hearts, for example, I set it in in Europe and in England, and I used um, Manchester as kind of a global, you know, as the locale for one of my characters. And then that book, I was still trying to figure out what I was doing, and I was trying to figure out what is my writing voice, and it, it's taken me a while to figure that out. And so from there, um, I created this fictional town called Shiremore. And that's where I put uh, put that in uh, Shattered Hearts and uh, Imprisoned Hearts because I felt more comfortable creating worlds instead of, you know, Fevered Hearts where I was like, I think I need to base this more off of a real world type of um, locations and different things because I didn't know what I was doing. And like you said before the break, you, um, you thought at one point you might want to be a lawyer and so you have well she's a paralegal um but she's obviously working for a lawyer and on a case um so yeah there's a lot of adventure it kind of seems but like just like you said intrigue and thrills and uh twists and turns um but yeah i love come i mean i i sometimes i i I get stuck but normally i love coming up with titles 
Uh, anything you could be clever like the like you were with Vittoria. Uh, <laughs> can't get over that one, right, Kay? Yes, I can't. Well, very yeah, creative. It's very creative. Um, but yeah, that's what I, I mean. Writing can be hard. I mean, sometimes I struggle for my imagination to open up. So I love that you ask family to, you know, to give their thoughts, children and at any age, maybe, but children specifically with these kids' books you write. What's interesting is it's interesting that you brought up um, getting their feedback because being blind and having to create so many different characters, you know, I only have a certain image in my head of what people can look like. So I've started to ask certain people, hey, could you like, what is your eye color? What's your hair color? Like, what's your height Um, and different things. So I, I take little bits of friends and family and put them into the books as these different characters. But, um, you know, I might thank them in the acknowledgements, but not outright say, this is who this person is based after. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So for our listeners to let them know, again, we're speaking today with Macy Lewis, author. You can find Macy's books on uh, the Amazon page, amazon.com slash author slash Macy Lewis, M-A-C-Y-L-E-W-I-S. Definitely go check out Macy's books and yeah I think I think uh, bringing that up Carrie you've talked about that before too as a writer in the fact that oftentimes descriptions of characters visual descriptions are so common in books and if if you if you are blind or you haven't been able to see for a long time sometimes it's hard to kind of know how do you approach that and so I think that is good that you that you bring that up and I think care the other thing that we've talked about more on the show is trying to describe other features of people too sometimes that sometimes get overlooked about you know other senses uh in a book top, focusing on smell or taste or feel or these other, these other areas that sometimes people don't think to go to as, as quickly as, as uh, what something looks like. But yet that is still an important part to include in, in a book. Yeah. yeah what's interesting is that I actually had to, yeah, I actually had to learn how to write as if I could see if that makes sense. So there was a learning curve there because I think if you're blind like Carrie, all of us, (laughs) and you're trying to write something, you know, we will over-describe something. So like if you're at the beach and you're like, okay, so there's like a golden sunset and the sun's yellow and then there's like the orange part off the water and the waves are like crashing into the shore and then you hear the seagulls and you might hear some like seaweed and then you've got this sand and there's like a golden boardwalk oh and when you go on the boardwalk there's cracks on it and your cane is the cracks and it's like <laughs> yeah. whoa 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 that is way too much it's like so conscious to, consciousness writing almost. yes so i had to learn how to be like okay look sighted people get all that they can picture that but and so what's funny is um when i have to switch back and then write as a blind person as a blind character it's a little it's a little funny for me to have to try and switch back between the two and be like, okay, for the blind person I've got to be way over descriptive. And then for the sighted, when I go back to writing sighted characters, I've got to push that aside and be like, okay, the reader can infer what this looks like. I don't have to be overwhelmingly descriptive. Yeah. And I and I wonder how teacher different professors in, in, in the courses you've had um have if you brought that up to them, like you said you wanted to do this or you felt pressure to do it or that you think it does help your writing that you're able to do the sort of switching like well it is the it's the high idea that i'm thinking of where like of course you know 
you want to be able to put yourself in someone else's position or someone who's cited who may be reading the book or put yourself in that in that position if you're the writer to sort of fit that that role but yet if you write it from your perspective as a blind person that might bring its own sort of twist to it or make it unique in its own way so it is it does seem like sort of an interesting conversation i don't quite know well yeah i don't think there's a right answer right just, no it's more of a just a discussion I ask but, yeah. i ask if you've had any specific experiences that might speak to that but generally yeah it's just that's the question right yeah um so i have a, a book that i wrote with a friend um coming out this year it's called weathering the storm and it's actually the first book with my first blind character because I wanted to and this is just me I wanted to really get a feel for writing as a sighted person if you will and so I wanted to really establish myself there and get comfortable um, and then in 2019 when I had this idea I reached out to my friend who's uh, his name is Jim King and he's an author and um, he's been following me on my journey ever since I started this whole writing journey. We've been friends since I was a baby. He's he's friends with my parents. Okay. Um, but he he published a book and then I started talking to him about it and then I wanted to try and so that's that's kind of how we roll. But um, we started planning out weathering the storm and it was our COVID-19 project when we were in lockdown. That's when we wrote it. And that was really fun because um, Carrie, you'll be able to see uh, from the Hidden Heart series, which you're reading right now, to Weathering the Storm, there's a jump in the writing. And I can't even describe to you what it is, but it's like something in my head clicked. And it was like, oh, I get it. I finally get this. And it was just like, um, you will definitely be able to tell if you have read the any of my previous books there's a difference between that and weathering the storm. And it was really fun to, at that point, write uh, my blind character and her experiences um, and kind of, I guess, go back to my roots, if you will, <laughs> put them in a book. <laughs> yeah, there's that's another question, along with uh, how descriptive do we need to be for mostly sighted readers, you know, the way most people write visually. Um, but this other question about as a, as a writer who happens to be blind, do you write a book with a blind character or a blind story, you know, a story about blindness somehow? Everybody talks about that kind of thing that people might assume you do that. Was it for you um, just that you didn't have a, you know, the character you first wrote about was not blind? Or did you feel at all the press, any kind of pressure at the time to to not start off your writing book, um, your book as a you know, career as an author with a blind character, because sometimes then you f then you're falling into that trap and you're put in that box of well now that's all you're going to write about. Um, but I don't know sure, if you experienced. It's interesting that. that you say that because I actually did kind of feel a little bit like I didn't want to write a book about a blind character. Eventually, I wanted to, but yeah. my mentor, who um, she had published two books at the time and her first book was about a blind girl and so I felt a little like if I write my first book as a blind character I didn't want to copy her um and I just I also wanted to establish myself and I guess prove to myself and everyone else that hey just because I'm blind I can still write about characters who can see and I I didn't 
like you said, I didn't want to fall in the trap of just writing about blind people. I wanted to just, you know, like I said, just show everyone I can write about everything. Mm-hmm. Your know, blindness is just, it's, it's not something I want to focus on. Yeah. I think that's a common thing that we can all probably relate on in some way is the fact that, you know, we, we do like anyone just wants to be able to fit in, in the world and not be separated in the fact that, you know, we, whether we think about our blindness that often or all the time or on occasion, whatever it may be, it is something that we, that we have to deal with every day. So, you know, in a way to write a book and not include that almost feels like we're, you know, like you say, you're sort of proving to the, to the general public that, uh, you can do things the way anyone else would. And I think that that ties into it, but yet, you know, including those characters in the book, since you are also happen to be blind, that can give you uh, a more authentic perspective to, to write a character like that in a book compared to somebody who who uh, isn't blind. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know what this next story with the blind character is going to be, but you can also write books with blind characters where they're even like a secondary, say they're like the best friend or say they're the sister and and they're just blind. It doesn't have to be yeah, the storyline. It's, story the it's just the... one of the characters is blind, like one character might be, you know, from Japan or something, right? It's so those are ways of doing it and we all do it differently. But, um, I just, yeah, I like to ask other blind writers that question because it's always something on my mind. And I think the beautiful thing is that there's no right or wrong answer. Right. Everyone can do whatever they want and it's perfectly fine. Absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the writing when we close off the show, which is, um, quicker you know these shows fly by but do you want to jump over to talking a bit about music here for a few minutes i mean in one of these modalities where as an art form jumping from creative writing or writing to playing music uh, you say you play the drums um does that is that a smooth thing for you do you struggle with one more than the other on a whole um i wouldn't say struggle i think I've been playing drums for over 20 years now, so it's oh, wow. it's a struggle when I have to chart out, which for those of you who don't know what that means, it means I'm um, figuring out a drum pattern and the fills that go with, with the pattern. Um, so it's, it's a struggle when I'm charting a new song, but I've it's just second nature since I've done it for so long. Writing, I probably struggle with a little bit more because I've only done it since mm, officially rewriting this book, probably 2016. Right. Um, so that's, that's been a learning curve more so, but yeah, definitely a creative brain over here. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're all, all three of us are creative in, in, uh, in our own ways. And, um, you know, me being more primarily a guitarist, um, I've attempted the drums, but not quite, <laughs> couldn't quite master it. But, um, is, is, is that something then like your writing? Have, have you released any music is that something you ever consider doing or is it more of a, a hobby or something more of a pastime or yeah is it are you in the background playing with someone else or is it do you do a lot of independent stuff well okay so i i mainly just took lessons for the first mm, few years and then when i was in high school i was in a cover band we were called laid back and loud and that was amazing we played just tons of tons of fun songs and we did it live um, and that was really, really fun. Wait, is that one um, band then, you cover or yeah. would you do a bunch of songs from different bands? Um, it was, it was a cover band. They do a bunch so of we just, different bands, right? Just do a bunch of Covers. songs from Okay. I wasn't Covers, sure if yeah. you focused on one artist kind of for, um, No, we kind of just went all over the place. It was mainly just classic rock. 
because okay. we all loved classic rock. Um, and then I just kind of went back to lessons for the next little while. And then um, life just got too crazy. So I stopped the lessons and then I just play just by myself. So I'll have uh, my iPod or my phone with earbuds in. And then I have these gigantic down counseling headphones over the top. So I just play by myself for a couple of hours a day. Um, I don't know. It just kind of depends on the you know family schedule when everybody's okay for me to do that, <laughs> you know. And then just you know, I let all my neighbors know, hey, look, if 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 it's ever in a time that's inconvenient, please let me know. Just don't like hate on me or something. <laughs> but um, I, I always try to be, you know, don't play past eight o'clock. Occasionally, once in a while, I might play later. But since it's so loud, and like you know, my neighbor who's six houses away on the other side of the block can hear me we try to keep it uh respectful yeah drum drumming's a tough one you know guitar and other instruments sure they can be loud but you can easily turn them down whereas drums i guess you can have brushes or whatever it may be but yeah still, soft jazz drumming yeah brushes still yeah, exactly. generally a, a bit louder but um and uh so so drumming you play some other instruments and you're also you also sing as well i believe yeah, sing, um, piano. I don't necessarily play. I plunk. <laughs> um, I took lessons for a few years when I was little, uh, but I wasn't very good at it. And then just a few years ago, I was like, I can teach myself skills because I have perfect pitch. So it's helpful, um, but I, I haven't mastered anything beyond that. And that, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd say that's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. I mean... I think it's great too that you bring up perfect pitch care because that's something that's come up on this show at least with one other guest and it's something that um, that I also have and it's it's one of those things I don't know how you find it uh, Macy do you find it is is nice or sometimes annoying having perfect pitch for me I the thing I struggle with is like sometimes when I'm listening to music I can't just enjoy it how for how it feels I'm constantly thinking oh they're playing this note and this note and this note so sometimes for me it can be that but i don't know how it is yeah sometimes i think that way other times what's hard for me is when everybody's singing off key and i'm like i can't do this or like you know sometimes you'll somebody will be humming or singing a different tune over another tune and i'm like stop it's <laughs> i can't focus on one tune yeah that's i mean that's the one downside that i guess there's definitely is for perfect pitch people Perfect pitch people. It's the letter P today. Remember everyone? Yeah. Um, perfect pitch people. And P stands for people. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I think it can be distracting, I'm sure, um, when you know something that, when your brain knows it that well, I guess. Yeah. And something can maybe sound. I would almost describe it. Would you, what do you think, Brian? Would you describe it as almost like a photographic memory? Where like if something's being played in a lower or higher pitch and you're like, that wasn't what they did originally, but it's good as long as it resolves and there's no nothing weird going on yeah i mean yeah i think i'm pretty like i listen to a lot of sort of experimental kind of music so i am pretty open-minded for things and and different outcomes but but yeah it's like tuning is one thing where you know i will get it can be frustrating if i'm playing a song or playing with someone and something slightly out of tune and somebody else might not really notice it and you know if you're playing live you don't want to stop the song in the middle of the song but sometimes for me it can be more distracting than than for someone else and um i think it's it's like anything; it, it affects everyone differently. I think some people are more sensitive than than others with with perfect pitch, and it can affect them more. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm like super sensitive. I'll just be like, "Oh, that's different. Cool." 
Right. Yeah. It's hard for me is like if a stringed instrument is out of tune and they're playing with the piano and I can tell and I'm like, Oh, that's, that needs to, that needs a little bit of, a little bit of tuning. Yeah. I think it's just an interesting discussion because it's something that, you know, people do have it. It's, it's, it's just not that common obviously. And so it's, I think it's always worth mentioning perfect pitch when we have a guest on that, uh, happens to have, uh, perfect pitch. And speaking of guests, We've had a great hour here with Macy Lewis, talking about writing, talking about Braille, talking about a whole bunch of things. It'll be up as a podcast shortly if you missed some of this and you want to catch up. But uh, I guess, again, do you want to tell us as sort of as we wrap up any what things you have coming up this year, like what kinds of things or dates or anything you want people to maybe know? Yeah, anything that we missed that we didn't that we didn't cover. The one other thing I was quickly curious, I don't know if you can give a quick answer, but I was reading that it says you, you proofread Braille as well as write books. So I, I was kind of curious briefly what the proofreading Braille would, would entail. Sure. Um, so that is basically where I work for a company and our client will send me documents to proofread. So I have a book um, that I in Braille that they ship to my house and then I have an electronic document on my computer and I just compare the two to make sure they match because everybody knows with mismatched Braille that's a problem um, and then I also work on another project with that company where a co-worker of mine who um, lives just a few minutes away from me will Braille the documents and then he brings them up and then I make sure that there's nothing wrong with the edits and then he prints them out in Braille or embosses them in Braille and then ships them back to the company for us. So it's really fun. It enables me to make money and then publish the books and the cycle just continues. Promoting Braille. Yeah, no, I think that is great. And we do talk a lot on the show about quality control and making sure that we don't, we're not just satisfied to be like, oh, at least we get something. We still want things to be of quality. And so it is great that you are in that, in that field and, uh, and are doing that because I think it is important to have, have the best quality Braille um, that that we can. Absolutely. But yeah, I guess we are pretty much out of time now. Um, Of course, people can look up Macy Lewis online. Um, find all our books on Amazon. We'll share all the links in our podcast notes. And yeah, uh, that just about does it. If there's anything else you want to say before we sign off today. Thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for talking to us about writing and happy writing and a happy Braille Literacy Month from the two of us here at Outlook. Um, we will hopefully talk again. Have a good Great. one. Send us an email, Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.